according to John, the first chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh, and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord. You may be seated. How many times have you heard reference to this Christmas gospel in uh, secular Christmas festivities? I don't think I ever have. I mean, I, I know Judy Collins read part of the King James Version of Luke 2 on her Christmas album, but, but not this. I think that's because this isn't a narrative, a story like Luke chapter 2. It's more an explanation of the meaning of Jesus' birth as Christians interpret it. An explanation has a way of marching us into the present, whereas part of the attraction of narrative is that we can keep it in the past. And <clears throat> secular Christmas celebrations are mostly about the past. We remember a happier time. We remember our childhood and all the associations that, that go with it. About a half a century ago, the critic and writer Archibald MacLeish gave a speech to the Modern Language Association that began with the first verse of the prologue of John's Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. MacLeish was a professional doubter, and the author of the play J.B., which was a modernization of the Book of Job, and many of us of a certain age read that in high school or in college. Uh, I see knowing smiles on some uh, faces of people around my age. But one of his more famous sayings was, <clears throat> if God is God, he is not good. And if God is good, he is not God. McLeish was using John 1, verse 1, secularly, saying that words are more important than anything else, with creative and destructive power as that of God. On one level, this is a distortion of this verse. 
The Greek term translated word here is logos, which refers to the expression of inward thought or reason or the expression of the essence of a person. So it's not just words in general, but the word of God in particular that has creative power, according to John's use. But on the other hand, McLish piggybacks on John's frequent use of double meanings. John uses this somewhat inadequate term, word, to mean God's self-expression or essence. It's the power by which the world was created. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God's speaking is the same as God's acting. God's word is therefore God, and God is in Christ, so it's the word of God that came to live among us in Christ. Do you find this confusing? <clears throat> if so, it's because of the various levels of meaning in John's gospel, nowhere more than in this prologue. He weaves together various levels of meaning to demonstrate how thoroughly God has involved himself with creation. Part of the confusion results from the way John blurs the distinctions between past, present, and future. The word was in the beginning, and the word became flesh and lived among us, past. And we have seen his glory, present and future. We saw it in the resurrection, and we'll see it when he comes again. The coming of the word of God into the flesh, though, is not only past, but it's also present and future. The word has, become, has been becoming flesh since the beginning and reached its culmination in Jesus, the only son. But it keeps happening as the word of God takes flesh in our lives, in the history of the world, and in the church throughout the world, and in this community of faith. John is telling us that it's an earthly God that we worship, one who is near us, one who <clears throat> comes to us, who takes on flesh in his word and in the sacraments. We believe that God takes on flesh in the bread and cup of communion and in the water of baptism. Consequently, we take the world seriously as the place where we experience the essence and the presence of God. And it's for this reason that Lutherans have a sacramental approach to life in this world. Nothing in this world is perfect, yet God can use it to accomplish God's purposes and to be present. It's in our ordinary lives as citizens, parents, students, teachers, politicians, bankers, roofers, salespeople, scientists, plumbers, homemakers, and secretaries that the word of God takes on flesh for us and through us for others. The word of God, Jesus Christ, takes on flesh among us and in us, in his body, the church. Our community of faith is the way many will know or do know Jesus Christ, the living word of God made flesh. I find thinking about the implications of that both exhilarating and frustrating. <clears throat> exhilarating because this congregation has had an influence on so many over the years, and frustrating because, of course, there's so much more that we can do 
to enhance the enfleshment of the living Word of God in our community? Are we doing what we can to embody the living Word of God, or is there more that we can do? And what might that be, and how can we be involved in it? The Word of God <laughs> takes on flesh and blood in and through our ordinary congregational activities, teaching God's Word, singing it like we do this morning, the care for others and their families shown in times of difficulty, the taking of communion to the homebound by lay people, the interest of older adults in the children of the congregation. These may be activities that we take for granted, but God can use them to live among us, to dwell with us. So the beginning of the Gospel of John is not just beautiful poetry, but a breathtaking invitation into this community that gathers around the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ. In baptism, we have made, been made part of that community. And in the Eucharist, we are renewed as we become those through whom the Word of God takes on flesh for others. The Word became flesh and lives among us in the past and in the present. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only son, who is close to the father's heart, who has made him known to us. Amen. <clears throat>